My name is Steve. I'm the lead pastor here. We are continuing our sermon series called Invitation to More. We are going to Romans chapter 12. Grab your Bibles. Let's flip open to Romans 12. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chair around you. In our Bibles, we're going over to page 947. Uh, You should have um, a booklet. This is the fourth week of our Invitation to More series. If you're new this morning or if you missed picking it up over the last couple of weeks, I would like you to raise your hand. We'd like to put one of those booklets uh, in your hand. We only have four or five left. And so um, raise it high and we will get you um, one of those booklets. And uh, the goal of these booklets is, is to help you engage the sermon series, but also to help you reflect on the sermon series uh, during the week. We Each week are, we're kind of building a sequence of concepts and ideas that um, are important to understanding this model. Because here's the thing, we, we are absolutely convinced that there is an invitation to more in the gospel, right? There's an invitation to more. You have been given everything in Christ. <laughs> I mean, that is mind-boggling. Everything, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is yours in Christ. God's not waiting for you to earn more. He's not waiting for you to, to level up with XP points and somehow it's going to open up this bonus round of spiritual living, right? That, that's not going to happen. You have everything you need in Christ, but I guarantee you are not experiencing everything you have in Christ. You've been given much more than you are currently experiencing. There is an invitation to more. And we're unpacking what I believe are some critical and, I mean, just critical concepts to helping us enter in to the deeper blessings of the gospel, into the true transformation that is promised by the resurrection of Christ. So um, I would encourage you, take notes, review the notes, think and, and, and engage the scripture, because I believe God is giving us something incredibly powerful here. All right, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you guys, we are unpacking the principles that we find in verse 1 right? Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which uh, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service or your spiritual worship, right? There are three critical components, right? He is urging us by the mercies of God, right? God initiates toward us in mercy. We then respond in motivation, right? Having tasted the mercy of God, he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. I want your motivation to be your experience of God's mercy. That's what's going to propel you. That's what's going to give you energy. This is going to be the engine of transformation. This is where it's going to happen. And then what I want you to do with it is I want you to grow, right? I want you to climb up onto the altar as a living sacrifice to God, which is an invitation to more, even though it sounds like an invitation to less. Right? Sounds like an invitation to suffering and to diminishing, and it is a beautiful invitation to more. That's next week, by the way. Um, we're not going to get into that this week. Uh, this week we're going to talk about the second G of these three Gs, grace, gratitude, growth. Last week we looked at uh, grace. This week we're going to be looking at gratitude. Now last week we, we dug into grace, right? We talked about how God initiates with us in love, right? He doesn't wait for us to initiate with him. He's, he's not the shy guy in the corner of the room waiting to see if we're going to take an interest in him. He initiates. He pursues. He makes the first move, right? We're in a mess. Looked at this last week. Scripture says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What that means is that we are cut off from the source of life, but we keep trying to find life. Right? We're, we're floating face down in the cesspool of sin, and somehow we think we can fix the problem. And God's like, no, you're, you're dead. You're helpless. You cannot uh, attain life. You can't even reach for it. Right? You need a Savior, not a self-salvation project. You don't need just a little bit of help. You need a resurrection. And so he sent us a Savior, and he became our Savior by becoming our substitute. On the cross of Christ, the justice of God, the justice we deserved for our sin, our cosmic treason, 
was satisfied in the sacrifice of Christ. It's the perfect expression of the mercy of God. I did not get what I deserved. Jesus did. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my place. He lived the life I should have lived and and then died the death I deserved to die in my place as my substitute. And out of that beautiful union of justice and mercy flows this this fountain of grace, this, this undeserved favor, this unmerited love. It is God saying, I will give to you what you cannot earn, the very righteousness of God. So God initiates, right? God pursues. God is not passive in this process. He's not just waiting and hoping you're going to notice him. He is not a a beggar on the side of the road hoping that you're going to walk by and throw him a tip. He is actively pursuing you right now, actively pursuing your heart. And he demonstrated that pursuit by paying the price of the pursuit, by sending his son to be your substitute. He made the first move in love. And now he calls you to respond. Right? He initiated to make grace available to you as a gift. And then he says, I want you to respond to my love. I want you to respond to this initiation. Right? And the first and most important response we have is faith. Right? Faith is a response to God's initiating toward us. Right? In Christ, God says, this is who you are. You're more messed up than you know. <laughs> right? Your problem is bigger than you thought. Right? This isn't something you can solve. Right? But you're more loved than you dare hope. Right? I'm not waiting for you to fix yourself. I'm not waiting for you to make yourself attractive so that I'll be attracted to you. I'm going to send a Savior who is going to meet you where you are and take you where you can't go on your own. He's going to be your substitute, and as your Savior, He's going to deliver you, right? He initiates and then looks at us and says, will you trust? I'm going to do the work for you. Are you going to trust that I did it? Are you going to trust that I am who I say I am and that I've done what I've said I've done? Faith is a response to truth. God reveals this truth, this gracious truth to us. He initiates toward us in relationship and then says, do you believe? Will you trust? Because here's the thing, you're going to trust either God's salvation plan or yours. You're either going to trust that that God is going to give you the pathway to life or, or your weak efforts are. It's either going to be your attempts through your job or your family or your personal glory or success or, or whatever it is that you think is going to deliver you into life, whatever it is that's going to deliver you from your shame, whatever it is that's going to cleanse you from your guilt, you're either going to trust in yourself or you're going to trust in Him. And He looks at you and He's saying, will you trust me? Will you come back into relationship with me? Will you respond to my love? By being undone and, and, and responding in faith, right? So he, he calls us to respond by initiating a truth, saying, will you believe, right? He, he, he initiates in love, saying, will you respond? Here's the thing, you guys. God's initiation frees us from the treadmill of worldliness, right? Worldliness is our way of trying to do life without the source of life. Our way to do life without... God. We, we look to the things God created to give us what only God can give. We look to our jobs, our families, our, our, our personal success, our own achievement. And we say to those things, you need to be God for me. Do for me what only God can do. Be for me what only God can be. Meet the deepest needs of my soul, right? God delivers us from the treadmill of, of wasting our effort um, trying to go someplace we can't get, right? Here's the thing. When grace comes in, when you believe it, when you receive by faith, the gift of grace. You get off the treadmill of trying to make yourself better. Because you got nothing left to prove. And you got nobody left to impress. I mean, think about how powerful that is. I've got nothing to prove and no one to impress. Why do I need to prove anything? Christ has been proved for me. I don't stand. In my glory and my accomplishment, I stand in His. The sovereign God of the universe has covered me, covered me with His very own righteousness. I have nothing left to prove. 
I have nothing left to hide. I have nothing that I need to, to keep away from you. Yeah, but Steve, if people see your weakness, they're going to think less of you. Yeah, they are, and that's fine, because you know what? I don't stand in the fact that they think highly of me. I stand in the fact that God thinks highly of me, covered in the righteousness of Christ. What you see is bad about me, I, I trust me, it's way worse, right? This is the, the gift of grace that comes in, right? I don't have to make myself worthy to be loved. This is one of the hardest things for some of you to believe because everything in life has taught you that you need to make yourself worthy of love. I need to be beautiful to be found attractive. I need to be successful in order to be respected. I need to earn if I'm going to receive favor, love, affection. Everything in life tells us this, right? You need to hide your flaws and put out your best face. You need, to, you, need to, you need to be worthy of love in order to be loved. The gospel says you are loved even though you are completely and totally unworthy of that love. That God's love is not a response to your beauty. God's love rests in his sovereign choice to love you, to act in your, well, your well-being, to work for your best interest, not because you deserve it, but because he chooses to do it. He will love you not because you're lovely, but in order to make you lovely. He will affirm your worth and give you dignity as a gift. I don't have to fight for my own glory or security or worth. I don't have to escape to find rest because there is no greater rest than in the presence of divine love. So when we look at this, justice and mercy come together. The outpouring is grace upon grace upon grace. A never-ending flow of God's approval, God's love, God's acceptance, God's power, because I am covered in the very righteousness of Christ, right? Even though I continue to fall short, even though I continue to be unworthy, even though I continue, God isn't put off, I wasn't worthy to begin with, right? I I receive God's favor, not because I've earned it, but because Christ has earned it for me, and I receive this by faith. I simply respond and say, You are who you say you are. You've done what you said you've done. The promise of the gospel is mine. I receive the gift. I respond to the love. And when we do this, you guys, it does beautiful things to our heart. It produces within us this this profound experience of gratitude. Right? God initiates. I respond in faith and And the first thing that happens when we uh, experience this is that it births within me this new experience of humility. I have nothing to prove, nothing to defend. Yes, humility is strength. Humility is strength, right? Humility means lowly, and we don't like being lowly because that sounds like you're, you're downtrodden. But humility is strength, right? I, I am near the source of my strength. I, 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 you can't knock me down, right? You can't, you guys know when you insult a proud man, the sting of the insult is his pride. It's what poisons it. It's because I, I need you to think highly of me. And when you don't, man, that just wounds me because I, I need to think more highly of myself. When you think of me down here, I got to fight against that and get you to think of me up here or silence your voice, right? If I'm lowly, if I'm humble, what are you going to do? You can't insult me. The God of the universe has already praised me. I already have the approval of the God of the universe. I don't need to prove myself to you. I don't need to defend myself to you. I don't need to puff myself up to to be big in your sight. I don't need to belittle you if I don't like what you have to say. Humility is strength. It allows us to see the worst in ourselves and not be crushed in shame. It allows us to see the worst in others and not be exalted over them in pride. You guys, pride. What pride does, man, pride... Uh, when, I'm, when I'm driven by my pride, I'm constantly producing trophies of my worth, right? Evidences of my worth. Here's my glory. Here's what makes me worthy of your affection. Here's what makes me worthy of your respect. Here's what makes me worthy of, 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 of your, your, you know, of security. Here's what makes me, you know, like we, and we have these trophies, 
We have these things, these things that we've produced. We've worked hard, we, we, and we, we're, we're lifting them up with clenched hands before God. And the problem with clenched hands is they can't receive. Right? In our pride, we're constantly coming before God and saying, here's my accomplishment, here's what makes me worthy. And, and the problem with each one of those things is, is when we do that, what we're subtly saying is not only is here's what makes me significant, we're also saying subtly, that's why you owe me. Here's my accomplishment. That's why you need to bless me. We're coming to God with our accomplishments. The beauty of grace is, is that it allows us to drop our trophies and receive His blessing. Pride says, here's my good work, here's my best effort, here's my latest success, here's how I am better than I was and better than others. But hands filled with my good works cannot receive His freeing grace. Humility opens my hand to receive the gift of Christ. I don't have to prove myself to God. I can just receive grace from God. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It's a concept that is repeated all the way through the Bible. God resists the proud. Why? Because in our pride, suddenly what we're doing is coming before him with our boasts. Here's what makes me significant apart from you. Here's what makes me important apart from you. Here's where my glory is equal to yours. This is why you owe me. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Grace upon grace upon grace. Waves and waves of never-ending grace. And when we receive this grace, when, when God initiates in grace, we receive it with faith, right? We trust God. It humbles our pride. And what that does is it fills us with joy. It fills us with joy. You guys think about it. Think about a time that someone loved you when you were being unlovable. <laughs> I know that's not you. Maybe, maybe not nah, it is. It is. Think about a time somebody gave you the gift of love when you really didn't deserve it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they were just kind to you. They just loved you. And you were being a jerk. You were just being ornery. You were, you were just being selfish. You were just being, and, and they loved you. And in a sense, their love kind of shocked you out of your orneriness, your self-centeredness. You're like, oh, all right, I'm sorry. I'm being kind of a, you know what I'm saying? Are you following me? Love produces joy. And I'm talking about not just a passing happiness. I'm not just talking about a passing good mood. I'm talking about the kind of joy that you feel down to your bones. A divine love releases within you the kind of joy that settles in deep in your gut. The kind of love that's not shaken by a bad day. The kind of joy that's not shaken when, when somebody cuts you off in traffic or insults you at work. The kind of joy that gives you a deep security. Because you are loved with an infinite love. You are loved with an, an unshakable love. You are loved with a never-ending love. When you are, are embracing and experiencing, when, when your humility allows you to come into that and simply receive that kind of love, man, it, 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 it just awakens within you this deep and unshakable joy. When God says, I have dignity when I feel defiled. When God says that I am covered with His honor when I feel cowardice. When, when God loves me completely and freely. Not who I want to be. Not who I pretend to be. Not my best image of me. But He loves me exactly as I am. Exactly where I am. Not on my best day. But in my worst moment, when, when I experience the deep and profound, non-judgmental, non-rejecting love of God in that moment, I feel joy. My soul awakens. And when humility and joy are combined, gratitude is what's produced. Right? When, when, when you have a deep humility of heart, and you're experiencing that deep joy of being loved... The language that comes out is gratitude. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it is just, uh, we know that it is the only proper response. When someone loves you in a moment when you know you don't deserve to be loved, when someone reaches out to you with kindness in a moment when you know you don't deserve their kindness, 
And you receive that grace, and it humbles your heart, and it awakens joy. That's when you're like, you know, thanks. I was having a bad day. We just know. I mean, we just, the only thing that comes, that, that is appropriate to give in response is gratitude. Gratitude. Now, here's the thing um, you have to have both humility and joy to have gratitude. You have to have both humility and joy to have gratitude. If you're missing either one, you're going to miss gratitude, right? If you don't have humility, when you receive the gift, you're going to despise it. When I was in Kyrgyzstan, um, I had the great privilege of going and visiting a team we had on the ground uh, doing um, uh, social development and, and, and building relationships in this Uzbek community um, that was uh, Muslim and had been there for thousands of years. And, and these guys came in, and they were just sharing the love of Christ and work, working to be a blessing to this community. And, and, and I went and stayed with them. And you, you, they don't have hotels. You stay with host families. And so we stayed with this host family, and, and um, we brought some gifts. And, and, and I helped, like, you know, um, dig up potatoes one day. It was kind of fun. I just kind of fell in with family life and did the things they were doing. And, and at the end of the week, one of the guys came up to me, and he gave me a cup. And I was like, oh, thanks, man. Thanks. Now, here's the thing. I despised the gift. And you're like, Steve, why are you such a jerk? Now, just listen, listen. I think we despise gifts more often than we like to admit. Here's the thing. I'm an American. I can pick up a trinket in any airport. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got more souvenir cups than I know what to do with. I got boxes of souvenir cups. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in the garage, and I'm digging through stuff. Like, why do I have all this stuff? What in the world? Where did this? Oh, that was that trip. Okay. Yeah. Do I want to keep this one? I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I got this cup and I was polite. You know, it wasn't like I was like, this is so dumb. I was like, oh, thank you, man. Thank you. Right. I pretended I was excited. Right. I was like, thank you. That's, that's awesome. Right. I despised the gift because I didn't receive it with humility. But here's the thing. It dawned on me a little bit later. He had made that by hand. He had, he had carved it with his own hands. He, he carved it from a tree he had cut down. It, it, they didn't go buy lumber. The parents would plant trees so that their children would have lumber to build homes. So they had stands of trees that, that were generational. Fathers and grandfathers were planting trees so that their children and grandchildren would have trees. He had, he had cut down a tree. He had carved this by hand. He had used tools that were precious. He had used limited, like he had to sand this thing. The only place to get resources were either from Russia or China. They were overpriced and they were unreliable. He had used limited resources. You know what dawned on me? This wasn't a trinket. This wasn't a souvenir. This was an expression of love. And when I saw it as an expression of love, I was humbled in the face of the gift. And I treasure that cup. It's not in a box in the garage. That cup was an expression of love. And as soon as I saw it as an expression of love, my heart was humbled. And it was in being humbled that I came to see the value of the gift. You cannot experience gratitude. You can say thank you. But you cannot experience gratitude without being humbled. You, you guys know there's a difference between saying thank you and experiencing gratitude, right? You with me on that? Right, I can say thank you for all kinds of things and despise the gift that I'm thanking them for. It's just a polite way of saying, yeah, cool, thanks. Appreciate it. I'll, I'll pretend like I'm grateful. Look, I'm smiling. Thank you. Right? We pretend to be grateful because we know we're supposed to be grateful, but gratitude eludes us because we're not humble in receiving the gift. Gratitude is a genuine expression of the soul that comes as a response to love. It is a humbled response, right? But here's the thing. It's not just about being humbled. Um, you also need to have joy in the giver. You need to be humbled at the gift, and you need to have joy in the giver. Have you ever received something you needed from somebody you didn't want to get it from? You know what I'm saying? Like, you get something you really need, but you get it from a person that just annoys the snot out of you. 
right? They, they're, they're just that person you don't want to be indebted to. You don't want to say thank you to. You don't, so you get what you need. You're glad to get it. In fact, you will receive it even from them. You'll force a smile and say thank you. But what's killing your joy is the fact that you don't have joy in the giver. You can say thank you, but you won't experience gratitude. True gratitude flows from the union of humility and joy. Being humbled at the gift and having joy in the giver. It's the voice that says, I am blessed by your love. I am blessed by this gift. So think about what's happening here, right? So we we look at this cycle. God initiates toward us in grace, right? Telling me hard truths to hear things. He's showing me things about myself I don't want to see, right? I find out I'm a bigger sinner than I thought, that even my best works are motivated by sinful intent. When When I see myself in that light, it's not very flattering. In fact, it's absolutely crushing. And if I were just standing exposed like that, it would be overwhelming, But he also comes in and says, not only are you more sinful than you thought, you are more loved than you dared hope. I love you as you are, where you are. I love you. I'm not waiting to give you my love. I'm not not hoping you'll earn my love. I love you, right? So he comes in with this overwhelming message of truth that, that produces within me a response of faith, a response of trust that says, I trust your promise. I trust your work on my behalf. God initiates toward me in love and and in doing so provokes within me a response of gratitude. So faith and gratitude, you guys, when we look at it this way, faith and gratitude are are really like two sides of the same coin. Right? They're, they're, They're really hard to distinguish between in the actual experience. But here's the thing. Faith is the first and most important response. Without faith... You can't enter into and receive the gift of grace without the trust. You have to stop trusting in your own salvation projects and trust in God's salvation project for you. You need to stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Christ. That's what opens you up to the experience of generosity. What generosity, or excuse me, what gratitude. And what gratitude does is it points you back to the one who gave you grace. Gratitude, because you are humbled at the gift and you're filled with joy at the giver, it fills your vision with the one who has loved you. It brings you back into a deeper experience of grace. So it is a response to faith, and it also strengthens faith. As I experience gratitude, it is the natural result of having faith, but by moving in, general, in, in gratitude back toward God, it actually strengthens my faith. So this becomes its own little loop right here, right? Where, where I experience God's grace... That provokes within me a humility and a joy as I embrace that grace and faith. That frees me in in gratitude, which points me back, right? Because gratitude makes me want to come back into the presence of the one who loved me to experience more of that love. That's what thank you is. Thank you is this softening of the heart toward the one who loves you and, and a movement toward them. So gratitude moves back into the presence of God, and it awakens this renewed experience. This is a loop, you guys. This is a loop. It's the outgrowth of faith. It strengthens faith. It drives me back into the the presence of the affection of God, the source of love, to re-experience that affection. This shared space, this, this little loop right here of God initiating and me responding and God initiating and me responding, you guys, this is the power of transformation. And I wish I could find better words. Because I cannot communicate to you how valuable this is. This is the power of the resurrection of Christ unleashed in your life. God initiating, you responding. God initiating, you responding. All true, lasting, authentic change in your life 
happens in this space. Not in your efforts for God, but in your response to God. So here's the distinction. Some of you are like, aren't there times you have to work? Yeah, absolutely. Right? I think it was Dallas Willard who said, God's not opposed to our effort. God's opposed to our earning. There's a difference. When we work hard because we think we need to earn something from God, we need to perform for God, we need to somehow produce good works to impress God, we are trying to earn from God what can only be received as a free gift. That's very, very different than effort. Effort is what we, the energy we expend to re-experience the love of God. In every loving relationship, isn't there effort? Don't you have to work to experience the love of the one that you love? It's different than earning. But all genuine transformation comes from this dynamic place. Not because you decide to perform for God, but because you are responding to the love of God. All right, there are three important points that I want to make as we kind of wrap up um, our look at this. And I'm going to go back to slides because I don't want to inflict my bad handwriting on any more than I need to. Um, the first is this. We need to foster true gratitude. Because this is true, we need to foster true gratitude. Talking about gratitude here, we're talking about gratitude that is pointed back to grace. Right? It's not good enough to say thank you to God. We need to experience genuine gratitude in the presence of God. Giving thanks for for blessings that you should be grateful for is not transformative. Transformation only comes as we genuinely respond in humility and joy to the gift of God in grace. We need to foster true gratitude. We need to fight to get past just going through the motions and push into the reality. Take it one step further. We need to push into true gratitude for the grace of God and not just gratitude in general. Right? Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Not, I appeal to you by the gifts God has given you. I appeal to you by the fact that you have a nice home and family. I appeal to you because you got a promotion at job. Right? We should be thankful for all those things. Those things can produce gratitude within us but they are insufficient to produce the kind of gratitude that will actually change our heart because the only kind of gratitude that will change our heart is a gratitude in response to love. So being grateful, you guys, is powerful. There is power in gratitude. Gratitude will impact your attitude for good. It will help you focus on the good. Gratitude can help you have a better day. Gratitude can help you see opportunities instead of focusing on threats. Gratitude can, and there's a lot of pop psychology out there right now that is basically like, hey, we need to be a grateful people. You should be more grateful. It'll help you be more content. It'll help you be happier. It'll help you to make your way through the day. And here's the thing, you guys, they're right. There's power in gratitude. But gratitude, this kind of general gratitude of just being thankful for the good things in your life, while beneficial, is not transformative. It can help you have a better day, but it will not give you a new heart. It can help you stay focused on on kind of the light instead of the darkness, but it will not actually move you into the light. Only the love of God can do that. Only the kind of gratitude that flows from a deep experience of the mercies of God can do that. That kind of gratitude doesn't have the power to humble your pride and remove your shame. It doesn't have the power to give you a hope that is greater than death. The kind of power we're talking about here, the kind of power that is rooted in the experience of the infinite mercies of God, this kind of power will work a resurrection in your heart. It comes to us by grace, and its outgrowth is faith. It is a gratitude whose vision is filled with God, and not just the gifts that He gives. We need to foster true gratitude.
And third, uh, and next, we need to kill pride. Secondly, we need to kill our pride. So foster true gratitude, focus on Christ, kill pride. Pride is the deadliest enemy of this whole process. Um, you guys, humility tills the soil of the human heart, which allows joy to grow, and the fruit of that tree is gratitude. Pride hardens the soil so that nothing can grow except self-boasting, self-focus, self-promotion. Pride hardens the soil, which means no true humility, no true joy, no true gratitude can thrive in a heart that is gripped by pride. You guys, pride is your mortal enemy. Pride is your mortal enemy. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is like Christianity 101, dude. Yeah, you don't believe me. Because I don't believe me. You know why? Because I love my pride. My pride comes in and it is sneaky and it is deceptive and, and, it, and it strokes my ego and, 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 it, and it inflames my shame a little bit and, and it makes me feel better than others. And there's something kind of sweet about that experience. Sweet the taste in my mouth. But it produces death in my soul. Pride is the enemy the mortal enemy of your spiritual growth. You should be at war with your pride. You should be at war with any prideful impulse in your heart. You should be a student of your heart, <laughs> not the student of your friend's heart or your spouse's heart, right? Some of you are like, man, I wish so-and-so was here today. You know, man, they, they really need to hear this. Yeah, we're really, really good at identifying the pride in other people's heart. We're really, really good at identifying, well, this is where you need to grow in grace. This is where you need, what we're really, really bad at is recognize the impulses of heart, pride in our own hearts. We need to become students of our own hearts. We need to pay attention to, to what happens in our hearts, what provokes pride, where we find the experience of pride, where, where we find joy in pride. You guys know that person on Facebook? You know the one. The one who po posts the memes you hate to see. Right? They're, they're making points that are stupid. Like, that's the stupidest point I've... It's based in ignorance. That's the, that's the dumbest thing to ever come out of the dumb planet of dumb. That's just ignorant, Right? You look at it and you're like, do you even have a brain? Right? Seriously, because you're like, you're so illogical. You're so wrong. Ah, and we are so prideful. I have had to go to war with my engagement with social media. And I, it's hard. This week, man, I, was, I made a conscious choice. I'm, I'm going to spend 30 minutes on social media of intentional time. Because there are things I have to do on social media, right? There are things i got to push out for the church, things, and, and there are things that I need to respond to, right? People are like, well, dude, you're a pastor. What's your position on this? You should be leading. You need to be. And if your voice is silent, we don't know it. And, and, and I'm like, all right, yeah, there's something. i gotta, I got to be present, right? I gotta. And so what ends up happening, though, is, is social media has this way of, it's like in kudzu. You know, you've got guys from the south, you know, the plant that grows everywhere and you can't kill it. Social media fills all the open spaces of your life, right? I'm standing around in the kitchen. Before I know it, I'm like, huh? And I'm like, wait, no, kill it, right? Because it's like anytime I'm like, I'm just like bored or I'm, I'm not moving, right? It just kind of fills that space, right? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, right? And you know what happens every time? I'm like, oh, look, there's a cute puppy. Oh, look, there's a goat that screams. I love those. There's a guy riding his mountain bike in a place he shouldn't. That, And then invariably someone says something stupid and my heart just gets tight. I'm like, no, down, no, down. I won't respond. But that tightness is in my chest. You know what I'm saying? It's still there. I carry that tension with me. Here's the thing. It provokes my pride. Because when I think people are wrong, I think it's my job to fix them and tell them they're wrong. When I think they're ignorant, it's my job to enlighten them. When I think they're making 
either racist or, or inappropriate, like you just totally miss the gospel with that. You're, you're, you know, like, I just feel this like, man, I need to get in there and fix this. Listen to me, you guys. The problem isn't the person posting the memes. The problem is my heart. The greatest enemy of my spiritual growth and development is not out there, it's in here. The greatest enemy of the church being the church is not out there, it's in here. The greatest enemy of us being a light in this season of division, a light of grace and unity and beauty, the greatest enemy is not out there. It is the prideful impulses of my own heart. That is your single greatest enemy. Your need to be right and to make sure other people know you're right. Your need to to be vindicated. Your need to make sure people that know they're wrong. I had somebody tell me one time, if you want an answer on Facebook or on social media, you don't post a question. You post the wrong solution. (laughs) Because people cannot resist fixing what you've done wrong. Have you ever felt that need? When someone says something or does something and you're like, well, that's just off. That's wrong. I need to... Pride. Listen to me, you guys. In every relationship, social media is the easiest target because we are most loosely connected with people in that. But, but it's in friendships. It's in marriages. It's in our families. It's in our workplaces. It's in our community. Any impulse you have to exalt yourself over someone else, every impulse you have to find their weakness and magnify your strength, to to put a light on their ignorance and on your knowledge, any impulse you have to gloat or nurse an offense, any impulse you have to make sure you're the good guy and they're the bad guy is the enemy of your soul. Because it will kill your experience of grace. It will harden the soil of your heart. It will reduce and effectively make non-existent your response of faith and gratitude. And pretty soon, all you're going to be able to do is give thanks instead of experiencing gratitude and, and, and talk about faith instead of experiencing faith and talk about love instead of being deeply undone by love. It is the enemy of your soul. Are you hearing me? It is the enemy of your soul. You don't believe me. I don't believe me. But it is true. This is the single most powerful enemy of your spiritual growth. Your pride. The problem is we love our pride and it's so deceptive and so alluring. And so It just comes in and whispers. You need to get good at identifying the whispers. Identifying the impulses and putting them to death. You know how you put them to death? Is it through self-will? Is it by just deciding, I'm going to do this thing? I'm going to be a better Christian? I'm I'm just going to stop being prideful? Is that how you do it? You know how you do it? You expose them, and then you come back into the presence of grace. You come back into the experience of love. Lord, I feel, for some reason right now, I feel a desperate need to defend myself or to promote myself or to prove that I'm right or to defend my name. Lord, I feel this right now. Will you meet the deeper needs of my soul? Will you help me once again to feel the infinite, unending, powerful love that flows to me in grace? Will you humble me in the face of this gift? Will you fill me once again with joy at the price you paid that I might be set free, will you once again awaken within me gratitude? That will diffuse your pride. That will free you from your need to prove yourself, defend yourself, and make yourself great. Final point, we need to motivate others with grace. We need to go deep with grace in our own hearts. Right? Which means awakening a genuine experience of gratitude pushing into the gospel, pushing into the love of God to reawaken our awareness of the love of God. So we have this deep experience of grace. In the process, we have to learn how to kill our pride because our pride is the number one enemy of our experience of grace. And out of that, we need to learn to operate with others from a place of mercy. If you want to see others change, which you do, 
If you're married, you want to see your spouse change. If you're a parent, you want to see your kids change. If you're an employee, you want to see your workplace change. If, if you are a friend, you want to see your friend change. You want to see people change. You need to learn how to motivate that change through grace. Guys, that's why, that's why Paul says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. I motivate you by your experience of the mercy of God. Not because this is one more way to motivate among many, but because this is the one true motivation that will bring about true transformation. That means we need to abandon shaming. Shaming flows from pride. We need to abandon shaming. Dude, man up, man. You want to you you get over this? Pro- man up, man. I don't know why you're so weak. You need to abandon shaming. Why don't you act your age? Why don't you get your act together? We need to abandon shaming. Man, you're so stupid. Or you don't want to be dumb, do you? You need to abandon shaming. We need to abandon guilting. You owe, you owe God. Why don't you, you know, you need, remember how much you owe God. You owe me. Do you know how much I've sacrificed for you? Do you know how much, how much I've given up for you? you know, do you know what I've suffered for you? You owe me. You should. Should, 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 which is language of both guilting and shaming. It highlights both how they fell short and how they're inadequate. The debt they owe and why they can't pay it. You should. You should be better. You should be nicer. You should be kinder. You should be more productive. You should expend more effort. We need to abandon shaming, abandon guilting, abandon manipulation. If you'll do this, I'll do this. A lot of times we're a lot more subtle than that. You know, we don't come out and say, if you're nice to me now, I'll be nice to you later. But we imply it. In a thousand ways, if you measure up for me, you'll get a benefit from me. Manipulation. Every single one of those motivations appeals to worldliness. It comes from pride, and it appeals to the strength of worldliness. Why don't you work harder? Why don't you do better? See, Paul absolutely rejects all motivational appeals that stir up the power of the flesh. The appeals that appeal to the power of worldliness. Work and do. Work and do. We need to find ways of motivating change in the people we love that lead them to rest in God, not perform for God or for us. We need to find ways that help them discover the beautiful transformational power of experiencing the mercies of God instead of the death trap of trying to earn those mercies. And some of you right now feel incredibly inadequate and overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Because you know you have fallen short. You have done the wrong thing. You have have not raised your kids this way. You have not related to your spouse in this way. You have not related to your friends in this way. And you're feeling the weight of it. And you're like, man, how, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? And that's the wrong question right off the bat. Because how can I fix it implies you somehow have the power to change your own heart. The freedom of the gospel comes when we are dependent on grace. Not when we perform. When we see areas in which we fall short, that is God's gracious invitation to once again enter the dependency of grace. To come to God and say, I am inadequate to be what I need to be. I am inadequate to do what I need to do. I have fallen short. I need you to make up the space, fix the gap. Lord, I need you to step in and do what I can't do. It drives us back to this place of dependency instead of performance. Back to a place where we are once again simply resting in a God who initiates toward us in love and in grace to give what we cannot earn. 
so that it wakens within us the humble joy of receiving what we cannot claim. You guys, this is power. This is power. Not the commitment of your will, not the focusing of your energy, not the power of shame or guilt or manipulation. It is the power of God's love set loose in our lives as we learn to just trust His promises and walk in the gratitude that comes from humble joy. A place where we depend on the Spirit and find a transformative power that we couldn't produce for ourselves. This has implications for how we approach all of life. The strongholds in our life, the, 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 the addictions, the resentments, the, the wounds that just aren't healing. It has implications for how we approach our friendships, our work relationships, our family relationships, our social media. But this isn't the whole picture. This is the dynamic power, this exchange of love between grace and gratitude. But there's another element that requires us to push out in growth. Because grace was never given to us to become a personal treasure that we simply hold in our own hearts and don't give away. Grace finds its power when we receive it and we give it. When it actually is moving in us and through us to bless others. And that's why we got to talk about growth. And that's why you need to come back next week. All right, you guys, I'm going to close this and pray for us. We're going to create some space for God to speak to and encourage your heart. We're going to share communion together to celebrate our great Savior. But for now, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll go into our time of response. Father, I thank you that you are a pursuing God. That you, man, we turned our backs on you, but, but you weren't insulted and walked away. You, you were hurt. You felt the grievance of, of our rebellion and of our sin. You, 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 you felt the sting of your children misrepresenting your character and lying about your glory. Lord, you feel the weight. When we come to you and we try to earn what can only be received as a gift, when we're trying to perform for you instead of just be loved by you, Will you awaken our hearts once again, Lord, to the tremendous, incredible outpouring of your love? Would you break our pride so that we can receive this love, that we might be humbled at the gift and filled with joy at the giver? That we would be awakened to a genuine gratitude that would strengthen our faith? Or will you give us the courage to go to war with our pride, to see it for what it is, to recognize the impulses of death within our own heart where we want to exalt ourselves and belittle others. Lord, will you you allow us to find comfort in the presence of Jesus, the one who was forsaken and despised but never rejected, the one who, who had true dignity even though he was covered with the ridicule and the rejection of man? Will you, will you fill us with a desire to be in the company of those that are truly humble and in their humility most powerful because they are most dependent. Free us from our enslavements. Free us from our shame. Free us from our guilt. Free us from our addiction to our own woundedness. The places we need to to stroke our own pain to make ourselves feel worthwhile. Free us from the pride that we puff up. Man, will you just free us? So at the end of the day, man, our vision is just filled with you, your love, your goodness, your grace. You guys take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.